Shall we pray? Lord, we thank you once again for an opportunity to come and proclaim your word. Father, we pray now that you will bless your preacher, that my words will be your words, that you will be glorified, your people be blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. Our text for today is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning with verse 23 and following. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. I want to preach today from the subject, the Lord's Supper. Opportunities at the table. The Lord's Supper. Opportunities at the table. The celebration of the Lord's Supper or Holy Communion as we know it is a most essential aspect. One of the most essential aspects of the Christian faith. Such is the case because through participating in the Lord's Supper, we are brought face to face with the reality that Jesus suffered and bled and died on the cross to save us from our sins and to make us right with God. That's the beauty of this table. Every time that we, we come, we come face to face with the reality of what Jesus did for us on the cross. In other words, what we have at this table is a glorious opportunity to participate in several important aspects of cultivating our relationship with Jesus. Let's examine these, let's examine these aspects. Well, first we see that the first opportunity we find at the table of the Lord is the opportunity to affirm our beliefs. That's the first opportunity we see at this table. It's an opportunity to affirm our belief. Paul tells us in verses 24 and 25 of the text that when Jesus had given thanks, he broke the bread and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper and said, this, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you do this and as often as you drink it, drink it in remembrance of me. When we come to the table of the Lord's Supper and when we read and hear these profound words of Jesus, and when we eat the bread, which symbolizes the body of Jesus given as payment for our sins. And when we drink of the cup, which symbolizes the purified blood of Jesus washing away our every sin, we are affirming two important 
realities. Think about that. When we come to this table, we, we are affirming two very important realities. First, we are affirming that Jesus is who he says he is. That's right. When we come to the table, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we are affirming that Jesus really is who he says he is. Notice what he said in John eleven twenty five. 25. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live again. Right here, right here, we affirm that it is our belief in Jesus Christ alone that saves us from sin. That's what we're affirming we're at this table. We're, we're affirming when we come and eat the bread and drink the cup. We are affirming that it's Jesus Christ alone that saves us from sin. It's not about good works, although good works are a product of being saved. In other words, we, uh, we, we are saved by our good works, but we do good works because we are saved. It's not about the name or the geographical location of our church, our family, or our fellowship that saves us. Although being in a Christ-honoring church is a biblical mandate, uh, Hebrews 10, 10, 25 says, And do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the custom of some. It's a biblical mandate to, to assemble ourselves together. And even right now, we are doing it virtually, but we are still coming together. Being together is a biblical mandate and it's essential for Christian growth and development. But that's not what saves us. It's not about the titles we wear in or around the church. It's not about the positions we hold in the church. It's not about our gifts and talents, although they all have significant function within the body of Christ. But those things don't save us. But our salvation, whether we go to heaven or not when we die, is not even based on on following religious rules and stringent sacred guidelines. No, the table affirms that it is the belief, get this, it is the belief in Jesus Christ alone that saves us. And when we come to the table, it is an affirmation of that reality. But second, when we come to this table, we are affirming that Jesus did what he said he would do. In other words, when we come to this table, we are affirming that we can take Jesus at his word. He did what he said he will do, and he will always do what he said he will do. John 2, 19 through 22 is an exhilarating example of Jesus doing what he said he would do, of Jesus keeping his promise of the reality that we can always lean and depend upon the promises of Jesus. Notice the text. Jesus said, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. Now, that's what he said. He, he said, you destroy this temple. In three days, I will raise it up. And then the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. And how will you raise it up in three days? 
But he was speaking of the temple of his body. They misunderstood him. He was talking about his body. He was talking about y'all will crucify me. You will bury me. But in three days I will rise. He was speaking about the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, watch this, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them. What did he say? I will raise it up in three days. And so they remember what he said and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus said, watch this, oh praise his holy name, that at the table we affirm beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus does what he says he will do. Now watch carefully. Jesus says in Hebrews 13 and 5. I will never leave you. Nor forsake you. Now sometimes people will say that. And they'll back up off that promise. Sometimes people will stand at the altar. And they will say to each other. They'll promise before God and the company. That I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. But something happens, something goes wrong, and they back up off of that promise. Sometimes employers will tell you, you have a job for as long as you want, but then things change and you get a pink slip. Sometimes make people make promises that they cannot keep or they refuse to keep, but not Jesus. Whatever promise Jesus makes to you, he will always keep it. That's the words of Hebrews 13. 25, Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Here it is. Here, here's the practical application. Here's, here's real-time footage. Here's, here's real-time footage. Some people are worrying themselves, oh, what would happen on Tuesday, November the 3rd? Some people are spending every spare moment of their day and of their night glued to the television set. Some people are spending every spare moment glued to the television or the internet listening to human strategize, humans being strategized, theorized, rationalized, and even theologized about the outcome of Tuesday's election. But can I tell you something? Jesus has been with you all through the years. Jesus has been with you every step of the way in your life. He's been there with you and for you through the ups and downs of life. Jesus has been there during your highs and lows. Jesus has been there during the storms and the calm, the joys and the sorrows, the successes and the failures, the victories and the defeats. Jesus has been right there by your side. That's because he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. When he, him, Jesus said it like this. He wrote, I've, I've seen the lightning flashing. I've heard the thunder roll. I felt sin breakers dashing, which tried to conquer my soul. I've heard the voice of my Savior. He bid me still 
fight on. He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. Well, the second opportunity we find at the table of the Lord is the opportunity to assess, assess ourselves. At the table, it's an opportunity to assess ourselves. Paul wrote in verse 28, let a man examine himself, i.e., let a man, let a, boy, per, a woman, let a boy, let a girl examine him or herself, and so let him or her eat of the bread and drink of the cup. The reality is humans, with our flesh and nature, we're, we're wired to evaluate others rather than ourselves. The flesh nature says, look at my brothers, look at my sister, and see the flops, the flounderings, and the failures in their lives. Notice how judgmental the flesh says of others. Notice how judgmental, notice how judgmental they can be. Observe how negative their attitude is. Look at how they miss the mark. Note their obvious lust and grief and covetousness. But here it is. Paul reminds us that the table of the Lord is not about evaluating others, but the table of the Lord is about evaluating ourselves. For you see, it's about taking inventory of our own stock. It's about taking an in-depth look into the places and the spaces of our own isness. It's about probing our own Hearts. It's about perusing our own minds. That's what self-examination is about. It's about saying, not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. And yet we are so geared, so wired in the flesh to evaluate others. You know, you don't even have to teach children how to evaluate others. Those of you who have, have children in your family, maybe even nieces and nephews, all of us do. Little children are quick to say, he did it, or she did it. In the classroom, children will say, he did it, or she did it. Rarely will they come up and say, I did it. That's because in the flesh, even as adults, we're geared towards examining others. Rather than our examining ourselves. But when we come to the table and when we honestly assess ourselves and find things about us that are not pleasing to God, here is the remedy. 1 John 1 and 9, we are to confess our sins and then we are to receive God's forgiveness and cleansing from all unrighteousness. That's what the table is about. So being we can, we can live 
in a most worthy fashion and we can enjoy our communion with the Father and with each other when we are willing to examine ourselves, when we take the opportunity to assess ourselves and whatever those things are within us that are hindering our relationship with Christ and each other, when we confess those things, get them out of our lives, then we can enjoy fellowship unimpeded with God and each other. The third opportunity we find at the table of the Lord is the opportunity to announce our Christ. Verse 26 states, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, I like that because Paul is pointing out that the proclamation is not only left in the mouths of the preacher or the mouth of the pastor or the mouth of the teacher, but the proclamation is the responsibility of every born-again believer in Jesus Christ. Notice the text. Paul says, for as often as underscore you as an individual believer in Jesus Christ eat this bread you're reflecting upon his body given for you and drink this cup you're reflecting upon his blood shed for you Paul says then you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes Paul reminds us that it is at the table where we'll find the great and grand and glorious, the great and grand and glorious occasion to proclaim over and over and over again the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the second coming of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. It's at the table, it's at the table where we have the opportunity to announce his glorious death, burial, resurrection, and second coming. What an opportunity. What a privilege. What a blessing it is to come to the table of the Lord even today and proclaim that Jesus Christ, the Lord of life, the hope of glory, the Savior of the world. What an opportunity to come and proclaim today who Jesus is. But we dare not stop at our proclamation of Jesus at the table. We dare not leave the proclamation of Jesus at the table. Why? Because the world needs to hear of Jesus and his love. In other words, when we get up from the table, we need to go out talking about Jesus and his love. If there was ever a time in our lifespan when the church needed to stand up, speak up, and live up for Jesus, it's now. People are desperate. Have you noticed people are desperate? You can see the desperation in their eyes. You can hear the desperation in their voices. You can read the desperation on their bumper stickers. People are 
desperate. People are disillusioned and people are dying. People are angry. People are anxious. And people are aggravated. Can't you tell it? If you're listening to the news, you see it, you hear it. People are angry, anxious, and aggravated. People are wondering. People are worried. And people are weak. It's amazing. It's amazing. But you can feel it. You can, you can see it. Here it is. People are sad. People are, are cynical. People are sarcastic. People are saying all kinds of mean and ugly and evil things under the auspices of sarcasm. People are distressed, distraught, and disturbed. People are experiencing helplessness and, and hopelessness. Many people are hanging on to life by a mere thread. But hear me well. You as born, as born again believer in Jesus Christ. You as a Holy Spirit practitioner of the faith. You who have been to the table of the Lord. Have a proclamation to make. You who know Jesus. I'm not talking about people who just go to church for form or fashion of people who are religious. But I'm talking about people who know Jesus. You who have been to the table and experienced God for yourselves. As Paul would say, you have a proclamation to make. You have a proclamation to make. You have an announcement to give. You have a great announcement to to make. You have a report to give. Here it is. Jesus Christ, God's Son, our risen Savior, our Redeemer, and our friend, the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star, the Prince of Peace is all we need to get us through this journey called life. Jesus is who we need. Jesus is all we need to get us through this journey called life. Listen as Jude 24 and 25 affirms this truth. Jude wrote, Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before his presence with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power for now and forevermore. Amen. Jude affirms that what we need as people of God is a relationship with Jesus. We need an anchor that holds us. That's the proclamation. People need Jesus. Here's the sad reality. Many people will be devastated on Tuesday. They'll be devastated because their hope, their dreams, their aspirations are wrapped up, caught up, tied up in man. Many will be doomed because their help, their hope is in money. Many will be depressed because they're happy.
the positions they have or the titles they hold. But those who trust in Jesus will stand no matter what. Let me say that again, man, that those who trust in Jesus will stand no matter which way the vote goes, no matter which way the ball bounces, no matter which way the tide turns, no matter which way the cookie crumbles, those who look to Jesus as their source of strength and hope will stand. Him genius Edmund Moe hit a grand slam, ran a hundred yard punt return and scored the final basket at the buzzer with these words of an old hymn of the church. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lead on Jesus' name. Here it is, y'all, for the church. Here it is for good hope. Here it is for those who believe in Jesus on Christ. The solid rock I stand on Christ. The solid rock I stand all on the ground. It's sinking sand. That's the message of the table. That's the message Christ has for us this day. We're going to prepare now for the celebration of the Lord's Supper. The words of institution again are found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The word says, and Jesus broke it and said to his disciples, take eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The bread symbolizes the body of Christ. Let us eat together. Likewise, he took the cup and he said to his disciples, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let us drink together. Oh God, we thank you so much for the table. And the opportunities from the table, especially in days like these. Oh God, call us as your church to focus on Jesus, to focus on the table, and to always keep our hope and our trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come just as you are. I encourage you to pray something like this, Father. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Today, I'm opening up my heart. I'm trusting Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. If you pray something like that, open your heart to Jesus. We welcome you to the family of God and encourage you to get connected with the church virtually. Now, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord always be gracious unto you. And may he grant you his peace in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.